0: This is the Employment Law Show. All righty, 632, and welcome. Monday, new week is upon us. Good to have you here. It's uh, it's a beautiful Monday evening out there, a lot less humid than it was last time we spoke. Man, it was uh, humid enough to take a deep breath, chip a tooth on Saturday, but uh, today much more comfortable, so it's time to just... Tuck in and listen to the next half hour. You will be educated indeed in the employment law show. John Scholes here, along with Alex Luchaferro, partner, Sanfiru, Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in Canada. You have questions. This is the right show for you, for sure. You've been wrongfully dismissed. Maybe it's a human rights issue. Plain old severance question, experience changes to your job, harassment. This is the, uh, this is the show for you. You want to reach out to Alex, by the way, any other time. Uh, you can catch him uh, on other radio shows. We do TV as well, live streams through YouTube and Facebook and so much more. But the phone number anytime, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 855 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. But here and now, you got this half hour to call in and talk to us. Would love to talk to you with your questions, so bring them on, 416-870-6400. Again, live here, 416-870-6400. we got uh, the top five employment law myths coming up in just a moment, but a couple things you've been working on lately. Alex, with the uh, the case of the day, what, uh, what do you got for us today?
1: Hey, John, thanks very much. Happy Monday hey to you. Great to be here. Uh, as always, a real pleasure, and as you said, we're live on the air until uh, – Seven o'clock this evening and every single weekday evening to answer any questions our listeners have about employment law, about your workplace rights, really anything and everything to do with your job. You have a question about your rights at work. Well, this is the time. This is the place. We're ready to talk, ready to answer any questions you have about what's going on with your employment. As we always say, John, we spend the majority of our time working and it's quite common that, you know, despite everybody's best efforts, Conflicts between employees and employers happen. And of course, it's important to know how to handle those situations, you know, whether you're uh, the business owner yourself or, of course, certainly if you're an employee, even if you're a contractor, for that matter, our employment laws in Canada are actually quite clear. They're quite robust. But as we always say, the law can't help you if you don't know what the law is. And that is exactly what we're here to do. We're here here to help people uh, and inform them on what their rights are and help them resolve those workplace problems. And so as we always do, let's start the show off with uh, a segment we call the case of the day. It's an opportunity to talk about a matter that came across my desk today. Uh, John, actually this matter uh, is a couple of weeks old. I spoke to a very nice lady a few weeks ago now, and we actually just resolved her matter today, uh, John. So I uh, I wanted to have a chat about it. And uh, perhaps it's, uh, it's a lesson for employers out there and for employees as well. Uh, Like I said, John spoke to a very nice lady uh, a few weeks ago. Now it would have been uh, pretty much the beginning of July. Nine year employee John. So this lady had been employed with the same company for about nine years. She's in her late 40s. I think she was 49 if memory serves. And she was working for this company as basically an estimator. I think her title was estimation uh, or estimate coordinator was the exact position. And unceremoniously, John, at the beginning of July, uh, she was, and really in the middle of the company's busy season, she was let go. Uh, she was given no particular reason why the company said it was a restructuring. Uh, and what they offered her, uh, John, was a week's pay per year of service. The the infamous, shall we call it, uh, one week per year of service. She was offered nine weeks as a severance package. And that's when she called me at the office and And she wanted to know whether the company's offer was reasonable or not. And guess what, John? You know this story. You've heard it many Uh times before. What I told her is, well, absolutely not. There is no such law. Severance is not one or two weeks per year of service. Again, this lady was 49 years old. She's been with the company for nine years, and she was in an estimator position. I told this lady, well, her severance entitlements are not nine weeks John, they're actually nine months. She was looking at about a month per year of service as a a severance package. And so we engaged the company. Uh, We uh, sent the company an initial letter a few weeks back. They then responded with a counter offer. And over the course of a couple of weeks, John, we negotiated an increased severance package for her. That was effectively exactly what she was owed. Uh, And we resolved her matter. We got effectively a final offer from the company today. And she's going to be uh, accepting it. It's in line with her uh, entitlements. And, you know, I give this example, John, for a couple of reasons, but mainly for two reasons. The first one being this is not uh, an extraordinary event. Employers, when they're letting employees go like this, uh, they almost always will undervalue an employee's severance entitlements. They will effectively always offer less than what an employee is actually owed. It's not surprising to us as employment lawyers. it's not shocking, it's par for the course. So lesson number one for all our listeners out there, especially the employees, of course, is don't just accept the severance offer uh, on the spot. Odds are you're owed way more than mm-hmm. what your employer has initially offered you. Lesson for employers, of course, is, well, make sure you get some advice before you start offering severance packages in the range of a week per year of service. It's oftentimes well short of what an employee severance entitlements are. The second lesson, John, if I could say so uh, myself, and this is not to pat ourselves on the back at all, but, you know, oftentimes it's quite easy to negotiate an increased severance package for an employee. It doesn't require formal legal action. We don't have to get nasty, uh, you know, a little bit of back and forth, oftentimes a few weeks and we're able to get an em- uh, employee the severance that they're actually owed. And that's exactly what happened here. And again, that's not some sort of rare occurrence. This is right. of hard for the course in these Situation. So, you know, again, employees out there, please make sure don't sign off on severance offers uh, on the spot. Make sure that you speak with an employment lawyer before you sign off on any kind of severance package or if you're having any kind of employment issue. Odds are you've been offered way less than what you're actually owed. And odds are uh, that an employment lawyer will be able to relatively easily get you your proper severance entitlements based on your age, position and years of service, which is how severance is calculated at the end of the day.
0: Again, reaching out to Alex anytime you hear him talking there, no problem. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 855 821 5900 help at employmentlawyer.ca. And you can also run the math yourself, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca as part of that website, which is free and anonymous. The severance pay calculator is there and it gives you a nice number as to what your severance should be. It takes about 30 seconds to go through that we program and have a, uh, have a look what comes out the, uh, the back end, which is uh, very easy to navigate, so check that out. I want to get uh, Bill on the line here quickly. Hey, Bill, what's uh, what's your question? Thanks for calling gotta, in. Hey, no
2: problem. I, lo- I listen to your show every day. I'm a trucker. Ah, I love it.
0: Appreciate it, brother. What's why up? Why
2: does the ministry only get you minimum? Uh-huh. Why is that? But why is the government there to try and help citizens? I know what a concept that is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what do you think, Alex? We've heard that question. Million before, dollar, right? yeah, yeah, a million dollar, yeah, million dollar question.
1: Uh, a, a bill, and I mean the answer is pretty straightforward, and and it's the following: the Ministry of Labour bill can only enforce the legislation that is in play in these situations, and that legislation, when it comes to severance or when it comes to any kind of employment standards, is the Ontario Employment Standards Act, the Employment Standards Act in Ontario provides for minimum protections and minimum employment standards. So that's where you find everything from minimum wage and vacation pay and overtime pay. And there are also some provisions in the legislation about termination and severance pay. The Ministry of Labour bill can only enforce that legislation, can only enforce the Employment Standards Act. And that's why, I mean, they're great for issues like vacation pay and like overtime pay and minimum wage, of course. But severance isn't just those minimum entitlements, what we call your full severance en- entitlements are not found in the Employment Standards Act. This is what we call common law or judge made law. This is law that has developed over really decades and decades and decades through our court system. And it's what we refer to as your an employees full severance entitlements based on their age, position and years of service. And that's why Bill, the Ministry of Labor can't touch, can't speak to those full entitlements because it's not part of the legislation. It's part of, again, what we call the common law in Canada, what is judge-made law. That's why the Ministry of Labour can't help you. That's why it's important to speak with an employment lawyer to make sure your severance is is proper when you're dealing with the termination. Uh, Because if you call the Ministry of Labour and ask about termination or severance pay, you're going to get the wrong information, that's for sure. You're going to get only what your minimum entitlements are, not what your full entitlements are.
2: Okay. I was just
0: more curious. Thank you. No problem, Bill. Thank you for listening and uh, and hanging in there and asking a question. Again, you ask questions like that. There's thousands of other people probably went, ah, yeah, I've always wanted to know that as well. So uh, well played, sir. Want to get into this as well, the top five employment law myths before we get into our first break. Uh, number one or number five, depending how you look at it, uh, Alex, your employer can only let you go if they have a good reason to. No, no, no.
1: Yeah, that's right, uh, John. And, you know, this is oftentimes a difficult uh, topic, different, uh, difficult conversation that I Mm -hmm. have with the people that I I speak to. Oftentimes they are really gung ho employees. That is are really gung ho about the reason why they were let go. They, uh, you know, they know that they were good employees. They know that their record was clean. There were no concerns about performance or misconduct. And so they feel that the termination was unfair for that reason, they feel they were let go without any reason. And you know, the difficult advice I have to provide, and we as employment lawyers have to provide in that circumstance, is oftentimes the reason for termination doesn't matter. It's what yeah. we call a without cause termination, uh, and ultimately, that is perfectly legal. An employer doesn't necessarily need a reason to let an employee go. There's nothing inherently wrong with terminating an employee, of course, provided that the correct amount of severance is paid. And so in a situation like that, again, when we're dealing with a without cause termination, I mean, really the reason could be restructuring or it could be that they didn't like the color of the employee's shoes. It doesn't (laughs) ultimately matter. And I mean that sincerely. It doesn't ultimately matter what that reason is. Uh, As long as the employer is paying the proper amount of severance, that's what makes termination wrongful dismissal as we call it or perfectly legitimate if the proper amount
0: yeah i guess it's it's like that bucket of water right you just i i imagine the first part of the conversation working with a new client is getting them over that hump of the of the shock and awe of man i did nothing wrong but i got smoked when i went in this morning I, this isn't this isn't right i want my job back they got to be looking further down the trough at what the payday is right
1: yeah, that's exactly right. And mm-hmm. listen, there is an exception to that general rule, John, which mm-hmm. is and of course, again, our longtime listeners would know this. Listen, if you're being terminated, perhaps because you recently took a medical leave of absence, or if you're being terminated, maybe because of your age, uh, there are certain mm-hmm. grounds of discrimination there that actually an employer can't terminate an employee uh, because of, right? So that's when the reason for termination may certainly be relevant if it's based on a discriminatory ground, age, religion, gender, uh, ethnicity, et cetera. But other than that particular exception of discrimination, again, an employer doesn't even need a reason to let an employee go. And, and ultimately, what we're seeing more recently is that employers are letting employees go and rehiring employees that they can pay less. And oftentimes, it's just a cost-cutting right. exercise. And Again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Uh, provided that the employer meets its severance obligations to that employee who's been let go.
0: Top five employment law missed. The top four remaining are coming up, but we're still taking your calls here. 416-870-6400. John Scholes, along with Alex Luchaferro, Sanfiru, Tamarkin, LLP. Reach out at employmentlawyer.ca and we will continue. Stick around. More employment law show is coming up. Welcome back to the Employment Law Show. All righty, welcome back to it. It is 647 here on your Monday evening. Reminder, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we are here with the Employment Law Show from 630 to 7, so all kinds of opportunities during the week to slip in here, that half hour, learn lots, make a phone call, get educated, and uh, carry on. Yep, 416-870-6400. Joan, thank you so much for taking the time. What's your question?
3: I'd like to know how much uh, notice you have to give to quit or retire.
0: Another great question. What do you think, Alex?
1: Yeah, there's no set rule here, uh, Joan. I mean, ultimately, the notice that one has to provide to retire or to resign, they effectively mean the same thing, is reasonable notice. You might want to have a look at your contract, uh, Joan, if there's anything in there that speaks to resignation. Oftentimes there is if you have an employment a contract most employers will insert a two-week notice period or a three-week notice period if your position is more senior and you've got more responsibility in your role sometimes there'll be a one-month notice period to provide for a resignation so have a look at the contract first uh, then if there's nothing in the contract again depending on your seniority within the company really anywhere between two weeks and a month is probably going to be reasonable one month if you've got a senior position with a lot of responsibility and, you know, if it's a, a relatively low level position and you haven't maybe been with the company for very long, a couple of weeks notice is more than enough.
3: Can they force you to give more notice?
1: Like if you have potentially, a Yeah, potentially they can, uh, Joan. Again, it might depend on what's in your contract. If you do have a contract, no contract. that speaks to nope. no contract, how much no contract. are we talking about here, Joan? How much notice are, are they asking you to give?
3: They, well, they haven't asked me any yet. I'm just wondering how much I should offer them. I've been with the company 35 years.
1: Yeah, fair enough. And this is a and this is a retirement. Yeah. Yeah. Number one, congrats, Joan. It's it's uh, rare nowadays that we speak to 30, 35 year employees. So uh, good for you for sticking with the same employer for that long. That's excellent. Uh, You know, listen, I, I would say in your circumstances, a month is reasonable, maybe even a little bit more, depending on your particular schedule here you know anywhere between even maybe one and three months might be appropriate in the circumstances but it has to work for you as well uh joan so it needs to be a conversation between you and your employer and ultimately there needs to be an agreement on what's reasonable or unreasonable perhaps give a month's notice I, i think that's a fair number and see what they say in response
0: okay great Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Any more information, you can always reach out afterwards to Alex and his crew 1-855-821-5900. Going to move on down the line. Danny, thank you for standing by. What's your question?
2: Um, it's uh, I'm on the uh, Canada Pension Plan disability pension, and have been. I qualify every year, and I recently just got a letter saying they're doing something new. I just got it about a month ago. That if you make over a certain amount of income. That you will not qualify for the disability or the disability tax credit. Like, I get the disability tax credit also, and that they sent this letter out saying, if you make over so much, you need to tell us about it, and then we'll decide what we're gonna do. But I don't know if they mean income under the insurance when I get paid, or if I make some income over and above on the side.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I certainly know that the disability tax credit. Uh, Danny, applies to people who are effectively permanently disabled, right? So if you're receiving CPP disability benefits, Canada Pension Plan disability benefits, you've effectively had a doctor advise uh, both the government and likely your employer that you're effectively permanently disabled. And that then qualifies you for the tax credit. If uh, I think what they're likely referring to is income beyond the disability benefits themselves, So there might be other streams of income, of course, that some people have. Maybe, you know, you own rental property or maybe you have some other kind of income coming through. That's likely what it's referring to. Uh, You should uh, probably call CPP and ask, Danny, try and get them on the phone. My experience is that oftentimes, and, you know, Service Canada is perhaps less helpful in my uh, clients' experiences, but CPP is actually quite helpful over the phone. So give them a call, ask, ask those questions. They may be able to help.
2: I've done very well before I had a permanent cognitive disability, which is permanent and mm. it impairs me quite a bit. Um, I have to get assistance with things, but uh, like that's, my income is before was very high. And so my pension payment from my company, because I paid well into my pension is very good, but I'm just wondering, that's why I was confused. Did they mean that one or the over and above? So maybe I should give them a call, like you said.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good idea, Danny. And I think you might be onto something there, which is if this is a you know a private pension plan, effectively that you're receiving pre- payments from. So it's not not CPP disability benefits. It's not the, for example, if you have long term disability benefits coming through. If it's something beyond that. You're right, Danny, that may impact whether you get that tax credit or not. Yeah,
2: because the Um, the insurance company called me at one time and said, "Okay, you have to try and qualify for the CPP because we don't want to have to make all these payments. So I did what they said. You know, I always have. And I qualified for it immediately. And so I've got this, you know, the split payment and gave them retroactive stuff back. Right. And so that's where that is
1: that is the way it works with yeah, insurance companies and, and uh, that, that's what's provided for under the, the, the disability policy. Like I said, yeah. Danny, give them a call. Uh, if you qualify, great. And if you don't, it's likely because there might be another stream of income there beyond the insurance. benefits.
0: See, uh, we got a couple more in with our remaining time. Archie, thank you for hanging on. Uh, how have, uh, how are you? And what's your question? Yeah, I'm
3: very well. Thank you very Good. much. And Excellent. First Excellent. of all, a uh, nice show. I listened to it quite a bit and have learned it. quite a bit. Excellent. The, um, Question is the uh, let's say a union employee. I understand he cannot uh, use a lawyer to correct uh, or to to assist him in uh, constructive termination, for example. So okay, but now let's say that union employee has let's say a note falling with the union at the workplace, and apparently you can now. Um, pay your union dues or the same amount as your union dues to any charity of your liking. And so now let's say that employee uh, encounters a constructive uh, termination situation, let's say. Does he, can he now use a lawyer uh, such as yourself to assist him in, a, in, uh, in such a termination? Or does he still have to abide by the union contract rules? Or, or write-ups?
1: Yeah, it's it's a question we get uh, very often, uh, Archie, it needs to be said, and, and the difficult answer is, no, it is the union that ultimately is uh, the employee's legal representative in a unionized work environment, and for that reason, you cannot hire an outside employment lawyer uh, mm-hmm. to represent you, the individual employee, against the employer. Again, it's the union that ultimately has to take on that mantle of representing the employee and representing the employee's interests against the employer. This is something I say very uh, often, you know, unionized employment is is great for a lot of reasons. Uh, Oftentimes the pay is better. Oftentimes the benefits are better. There is certainly more job security as well. Uh, It is more difficult to terminate an employee who is unionized uh, as opposed to a non-unionized employee. That said, Archie, you know, and it does need to be said, uh, you know, when it comes to things like severance negotiations, when it comes to things like representing the individual employee uh, against the actions actions of its employer, that is where unionized employees oftentimes feel let down. Uh, And their severance entitlements are often very minimal. uh, And oftentimes they feel as though the union doesn't have their back, doesn't Uh, move forward with particular concerns or claims that the individual employee might have. It is the unfortunate reality of our legal system when it comes to unionized employment and labor law, as we call it, Um, and that's the give and take of being a unionized employee.
0: Thanks, Archie. Let's see if we get Stephen in here quickly with the remaining couple minutes. Stephen, what's your question, pal?
3: My question is with respect to the Ontario COVID-19 Worker Income Protection Benefit. Um, I contacted the Ministry of Labour today to find out if I qualify because we have just uh, um, have COVID, uh, diagnosed with COVID. And they said we wouldn't be covered because we're self-employed and we're not then covered under the Employment Standards Act. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that is likely correct. I do know that uh, the previous government benefits, so what we were referring to as the CERB
0: Right, uh, Indeed, Stephen we was. That.
1: That's right. That's that's exactly right. Did also protect self employed individuals, but you are right that, for example, uh, what's called paid infectious disease emergency leave, or I think what you referred to as the worker income uh, income protection benefit, you are absolutely right, is not available to self employed individuals. Now, this is where, Stephen, we get into the analysis of, well, are you, in fact, an employee of whichever company you work for or are you or you, are you indeed uh, an independent contractor or a self-employed uh, individual? And that's when we start to get into things like you, know, you work for multiple uh, employees. Do you own your own equipment, you know, et cetera? Oftentimes, employees are misqual- misclassified, rather, uh, as being self-employed or being contractors, as we call yes. them, as opposed to employees. It's it's an analysis that uh, might be worth getting into, perhaps off air, uh, Stephen, if we're running out of uh, time. But um, I can confirm that self-employed individuals don't qualify for paid infectious disease emergency leave or the worker income protection.
0: And we are done till tomorrow. We are back. In the meantime, call Alex and his team. Want to chat more? one 821 Email we use help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website of the free and anonymous variety with the severance pay calculator rolled into it, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll chat tomorrow, 630, the Employment Law Show.